0: Um, So yeah, hi everyone. I'm Stephanie. I'm an alcoholic, codependent, person in recovery, uh, apparently a human being, which I sometimes forget sometimes. Um, So I did have to make notes. Um, Yeah, I'm not sure how long it's going to be, but we're just going to roll with it and see how long we go. Um, So my sobriety date is the 23rd of September last year. So actually of today, I have 200 days. I got the alert on my phone. So I hit, yeah, this bicentennial thing which is kind of cool um so I'm kind of like in that weird stage of oh wow I'm getting close to a year I'm not even trying to think that far ahead and I think that's half the problem is not thinking far ahead um yeah so going back yeah I'm from New Zealand um I was born in Auckland uh the biggest city um I grew up in West Auckland which is traditionally known as the hood um I was kind of the the kind of more sensible one as a kid but you know, growing up in that sort of environment, I was exposed to a lot of stuff. And I kind of, you know, I kind of got away with a lot. But, you know, there's a lot behind the story. Um, so I was born in Auckland, um, both my parents, it was just my mum and my dad. Um, I don't have any, any siblings, um, they weren't religious at all. Um, I'll touch briefly on my ethnicity, because I think it is important to my story. Um, if none of you would look at it, Sometimes if you don't look at me, you wouldn't know, but I'm actually quarter uh, Chinese. Um, I'm also quarter Indigenous New Zealand or Maori, and I'm also quarter uh, New Zealand European. Uh, so I do identify quite a bit with my heritage, um, and quite a bit. So yeah, I thought I would throw that one in there. Um, but there was no immediate addiction in my family in terms of my mum and my dad. Um, but if I looked outside now, yeah, things there is addiction issues that were in my extended family and have always been there. Um, I just never knew until I kind of came into recovery. Um, so I guess kind of the, the big thing I want to start out is a big, a big part of my life that I haven't actually shared about. Um, I've shared it with a few people in this room, but not actually a lot, is I was born with an immune disorder. Um, so when I was born, uh, there was a chance that I wouldn't live. And so for me, I spent from four months until 19 in hospital. Um, I, I lived in hospital. Uh, so that wasn't like the traditional, uh, childhood that I had. Um, I basically couldn't live without, obviously you can't live without a, in a functional immune system. Um, so for me, my parents would had no choice, but to leave me in hospital for months at a time, um, to try and figure out what was wrong. And, and I think that that started something, a good chain in my life where, um, a lot of pain does originate from I, you know, I, I do think that that part of the life that I, I want to, I do want to respect that because it is a big part of my story. Um, growing up with an immune disorder or having a child, a life-threatening childhood illness, And um, they said that I would never make it past uh, thirty, and I'm going to be twenty-nine on some Saturday, so I'm, I'm pretty kind of stoked and I'm sober, so it's kind of strange. <laughs> um, but my childhood was was pretty okay. I jumped around a lot. Um, my mum pulled me out of school a lot into different schools, so i I never really had that stability and having no siblings um, I didn't really fit in anywhere. Um, I went to after school care and holiday care, but I didn't really have close friends because I was sick a lot, so I couldn't be around kids um. When they were sick, when they had the cold, um, I had to stay home from school, or I had to go into hospital and have treatment. Um, so I I moved around a lot. Um, I may have lived in the same house, but I went to uh, four different schools within the first three years of my schooling. Um, before my parents actually separated when I was um, eight, and my father my father moved away to another city, and that was a big thing. That was a big change. I think for me, my you know, it was just my mum and my dad and I, and then suddenly this. This first, you'll notice a, a theme will start to emerge of geographical movement. This was the first someone moving, started a chain of reaction. Um, but eventually I'm, uh, my mum and I moved to Christchurch, which is the second, second biggest city uh, in New Zealand. Um, I will say that it's not necessarily the place that I enjoyed living, but it is the place that I did call home and was my, the main place I spent most of my uh, childhood and adult life. Um, so yeah, high school, high school was, you know, for us, um, we do high school, we do schooling for 13 years in New Zealand. So, um, when I first came to high school, I think, I know for me, that's when things started becoming really chaotic in my life. Um, my mum had moved out of my life suddenly, um, I didn't know what to do and I had to learn how to live with a, a father who was very distant and emotionally abusive, and suddenly I started acting out like like crazy. Um, drinking was the first thing I went to before smoking. Drinking was the first thing. I remember my my father's looker cabinet underneath the sink. It would be hidden in the sink at the back. And it would be, you know, those bottles. And I would just go near them. I remember being 13 and just sitting there one night on a Friday night just drinking. And I was by myself. And I, I sit there now. I'm like, wow, I don't remember. I just remember that being the start of some things starting to change. Um, briefly going to touch on one thing that kind of, yeah, I I think between the age of my high schooling, between 13 and 17, I really started to engage in those bad coping mechanisms. You know, um, I really got into self-harm was a really big thing. Um, a lot of alcohol abuse, um, a lot of smoking, a lot of uh, starting to get into those bad crowds. Um, I went, you know, I started hanging out with the wrong people. I'm, <clears throat> I'm small, I'm tiny, but, but I managed to fit in anywhere. Um, I can be, you know, a, some people say sometimes a chameleon, I can easily suit, you know, the crowd, I can go up, I can be respectful when I need to, and I can be silly when I need to. Um, but 14 would really be the age in which I really started acting out as a rebel. Um, but through through school, my school grades were fine, I was heavily bullied. Um, And I was in hospital a lot, so I I did suffer a lot in school. um, But I had some amazing teachers, and I do thank some of them that really saw a lot of me because um, I was really sick at the time with just being in hospital a lot. Um, But at the age of um, seventeen, I was actually kicked out of home. Uh, So I'd gotten myself into uh, a good situation where I'd been drinking for for days, and you know it was the last year of high school and. It was sort of the thing to do everyone was just kind of in that mood it was coming on because in New Zealand of course it's Christmas so it's December in the summer um, it started being this time of going into summer parties and at the age of 17 on my last day last week of school um I was kicked out of home by my dad um, and that that was really traumatic that uh there was a, an incident involved with my dad and I um where he became abusive and I I basically got kicked out of home even though i did nothing wrong um but basically that started the second geographical movement which was i had to move in with my mother um, but all through this time the the hospital stuff still pops up and and the reason why i do come back to it is because i look at this thing of how i got to where i am and i was never allowed to uh, i'm trying to think of the way to put this I was never allowed to hide um, because of being in a hospital system and in a public health system. Um, there were people watching me. Um, you know, I would have infusions all the time and people watching me. And But I started really starting to act out. Self-harm became a massive thing. My alcohol, I would show up to my appointments drunk all the time because I I couldn't deal with it. I'd lost a few, um, a few people in those sort of times. And I, I think I look back in a 15-year-old, is being put in a room with people that are dying from cancer and you've got no idea. There was a lot of trauma around that sort of situation. Um, but I, I, I do have to remember that hospital was actually, has saved my life and there's a lot of things that I, you know, I sometimes look back and it's hard. Um, but my last year of high school, yeah, I was placed in intensive therapy ordered by the hospital. Um, after they kind of found out that I'd really started to slip down into depression and I got that, that you know, got sent to a psych in the hospital and I got diagnosed with depression, anxiety and all those things sort of coming out. And I remember straight after that um, psych assessment, me and my friend, we went straight out. We went straight out and we were, you know, you have to only have to be 18 in New Zealand to drink Um so it was pretty easy for us to just go in and act, be underage and get alcohol. And we were just getting pissed in town. And and that was just kind of, yeah, it didn't really matter to me what people said. Or I remember that time when, oh, you've got depression, you've got this. Yeah, okay, let's just go and get pissed. And it didn't really matter even with oh, being told, you know, you've got medication to take, you've got responsibilities now. Um, I started acting out still, it just continued on and on. So. I've been in therapy since I was 15. I'm nearly, you know, 30, so about 14 years. Um, And then I sort of finished high school and I I tried really hard. I think I tried to do well in school, but it was difficult. And I always kind of knew that that things would, I don't know how to put this, but I do remember at my graduation being there and um, a photo of me. And I do remember that I was drinking that night. And it was, you know, I had to go with my mom and my dad, and I actually ended up being awarded a scholarship um, for university, and I was drunk. And I I actually can't really remember a lot of that night now that I look back. And yet, someone who I highly respected nominated me for it, and I do not remember shaking their hand at all. Um, so yeah, I, I finished high school. I took a year off. Um, I was in the, I will say I was in the Christchurch earthquake, the 2011 one that Uh, destroyed my city that was an incredibly traumatic experience to be a part of and I'm not going to touch too much on it but that was a really hard thing to lose an entire city in the space of 30 seconds Um, that was really difficult but I decided that I wanted to stay um, and start university which you know I when I started uni I was uh, just coming on 18 so I was kind of I guess for some people they like, oh, you you went so late. But for me, I, I thought I already went quite early. Um, I didn't start acting out, you know, I didn't go to those parties, um those house parties initially when I started university, I was too scared because I didn't know anyone. Um, none of my friends from high school went to university. I was one of the few, all of them sort of went into different fields. Um, but within the first two years, it wasn't long until I, th- I think and about my second to third year when I really got into making friends um, that I started drinking outside of the house because before it was kind of easy to just drink with a few friends or at home. Um, but now I had, I, you know, I was on campus a lot of the time. I was with friends. So it was so much easier to be drinking and be socially drinking. And I think that that's something that I've noticed a lot is my drinking has been in times of celebration and in times of bad times. So that's been interesting to look at um I was typically the sober friend um I'm only four foot eleven and and four foot sorry four foot nine my apologies I know I need to get this right um so I'm not tall and but I always thought that I was it was always my responsibility responsibility to be the sober friend Um, because I didn't like drinking you know even though I was the one drinking I would say I wouldn't like it but then I would be the one drunk at the end of the night um there'd be a lot of events leading up to my drinking Um, depression, school, pad school grades, it would be anything that would be a chance to go near the bottle, Um, multiple activities to stay drunk, of course, preloading, vomiting, you know, all these amazing things, different types of alcohol and controlled drinking was, there was just all these ways that I tried to control how I was actually consuming when I look back. Um, I also started around this time to be you know, I struggled with my sexuality. Um, I was unsafe in places. I was under the influence a lot of the time. Um, I just was very confused. Um, and I think that's why a lot of my relationships and friendships were so short-lived because I, I wasn't stable. Um, my grades were average in university enough to get into postgraduate. Um, but I started to isolate once my, my friends left, um, my undergraduate friends left the university and I was the only one who stayed on for a good portion of postgraduate. Um, I actually started a thesis and I got my own office and by this time, you know, I was still drinking heavily. I was, I was a weed smoker by then. So I was a smart girl that was smoking pot in her office and, and drinking in her office. And Thanks and you know, doing all these illegal activities essentially in the office that I was not allowed to do um, around other staff and things like that. So there was a lot in that time. I, I was thinking about that before, just this office that I used to spend hours in. I would be drunk, high. I would come onto campus at 7 a.m. because that was my thing. I would have a routine of, I would go to uni at 7, leave at 5, I'd arrive on campus, and then I'd immediately be in the drink or I'd be smoking weed and that would be it. So that would be my day. Study, come back out, go back and forth, back and forth, back to the, it would just be that constant revolve round. But I did graduate university. I actually graduated um, 2019, so not that long ago. So I graduated just before uh, the pandemic, but through this, through the whole time, um, I had to deal with a lot more issues in the family. My mum sort of came around and came back and she moved to Australia. So I started moving between New Zealand and Australia. Um, the geographical movement comes up again. And I realized now I took my problems with me um, wherever I went. So, you know, they always say like, look behind you, your shadow is there. My shadow was always there. Me flying on a plane three hours to to Melbourne, to my mum, only to go out that night and get drunk and then come back home, repeat that again, and then go back to New Zealand and go back to school um you know there were things like that so all this time I was just yeah I was just going back and forth between two places and then you know my first sort of friends outside of university um I had one one really good friend uh, and when we first met we were it was just a (laughs) disaster from the get-go we immediately got along and started drinking started drugging I, it was my first friend like serious friend that I'd had um, Well, what I thought was um, to be around where I could consume drugs and because someone could help me because the other thing for me was you know I didn't really want to ask a lot of people I wasn't the crazy one with um, all the other drugs but alcohol was always a big one for me so now I was kind of curious, like leads to other things. So, you know, I made this friend. We were getting l- lines of cocaine. We were getting mushrooms. We were getting s aspir- we rigging everything. So I was really starting to get heavily into just drinking and drugging. Um, I was still acting out. I was still trying to understand who I was. Um, none of that had stopped. And especially when I would, you know, go overseas for two weeks, I would go on a vendor for two weeks and then come back to. New Zealand and try and get my shit together and go and teach and tutor um, students all the while you know I was still on benders and hung over from the plane ride and from being drunk and everything like that so I was fully in the midst of my addiction at that point um, Christmas of 2019 is, is something that stands out a lot for me I had a party that was thrown for me um, my first ever Christmas party, because I had never had a Christmas party before. Someone had thrown it for me, the person. Um, and that night was one of, one of the worst nights. I, my drinking and dr- drugging went so haywire that I was so sick that night. I, was black, I blacked out. I think I blacked out by 9.30. And the whole thing was, you know, a, a Christmas party for me to understand what it was like to be around a family, because I'd never had that before. Um, yet I ruined it because I was the one puking all over the floor and yeah. So I thought, you know, you think that would be enough and that was enough of an embarrassment for me, um, but that definitely wasn't. So we came into sort of, you know, what's now known as this, this pandemic life, um, which really was the hardest time for me, My the pandemic. Uh, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm a huge extrovert. Um, so it was, was one of the harder times. And I, I had plans um, to do a lot of things just before uh, the lockdown sort of happened worldwide. I actually had plans to be um, starting a new life in Australia and that, that got cut, you know, obviously within a day. Um, and I was stuck geographically in New Zealand. And I remember that day that I couldn't move and I immediately went straight to the bottle. Because the thing that I remember was, oh, the liquor store's going to close. Because in New Zealand, that's exactly what happened was I started drinking. Then I was like, I've got to go to the liquor store because they're going to shut the shops. And, and turns out they did. Um, and during that time, <sighs> during that time was probably, I can kind of talk about it now, but I, I really was in the, the start of the, the end, I guess, I look at it with along with that night. Of of Christmas, um, of just the pandemic, a specific night I remember really of being so drunk and so hungover and so sad, and I really did want to take my own life at that point. And I I knew that it would be so hard and simple but easy, and I, I remember sitting up at that night. And I had nobody to talk to and it didn't matter that there were people in the house with me that I would still was still tempted enough. And and I ended up, you know, calling lines and things like that and hospital and whatever, but there really was, you know, I was really in the throes of my addiction at that point and the alcohol being consumed and the depression and just the stress of this, that pandemic time just really did a, a massive number and really got me into a, a point where I was ready to die. want to be the closest someone said the closest to death without dying and that's kind of what i was looking for was just i was done was done with the world i didn't want to be here um and the only thing that did stop me was the fact that i didn't want my parents to find their dead child um because i you know i nearly wasn't supposed to make it till 30. um so january of last year i i had the opportunity to move to canada um i was in a long distance relationship for a long time. And we had a chance finally to, to be together. And I came across the world, packed up all my stuff and geographically moved again, and took my problems with me on a plane. And yeah, middle of the pandemic, I knew nobody. Um, still don't really know anyone in the city of Vancouver, if I'm honest. Um, and I've been here now for nearly, nearly 18 months. But you know, this pandemic still exists. Um, so it's been interesting since I moved here the experience of the, of how I've had to adjust, you know, to fully moving across the other side of the world, um, which I'll get into in a bit. Um, but what brought me into AA was uh, July of last year, I had, it was a, it was a really odd night and I still, sort of believe it's real, but I mean, I know it is, was I'd gone to a friend, I'd made one friend and in canada so far before i'd obviously found aa and i went to her house and she said Do you want to come around for some drinks and i said yeah okay and she bought her alcohol down and she bought out t- like the shot glass and then her-, her drink and she poured her alcohol into the shot glass and then the shot glass into the drink and i said what are you doing and she said i'm con- i'm just looking at how much we're drinking i'd n- i'd never ever seen that in my entire life with someone measuring out their alcohol and that was i remember that night and just been going that's so weird um what i mean we tried i tried i tried to do the controlled thing of okay let's do the shot thing but eventually i got up and i grabbed the entire bottle and i downed the entire bottle um, and i managed to get myself back uh, back home and then i ended up falling down really quite hard um and getting in a terribly on the side of my bed and had gotten a black eye and a bit of a head thing and uh, the events of that was just um, I remember the black eye I don't I have memories of the black eye I remember falling and I remember getting into bed and I don't remember I woke up the next day at 2 pm and that's really it and I was hung over um, so that was really what you know was the start of me starting to see things I'll also touch on one thing here my a similar situation had, had happened with my aunt and and she'd gotten sober through it um so it was kind of weird now to look back and go uh, the same similar incident of falling down and hurting oneself um kind of made me aware of a few things so um but as after that event I started drinking more consistently that that didn't stop I thought that that would have been the the start of me slowly drinking and uh, moderating my alcohol, but it didn't. Um, I didn't think that my alcohol use was the issue. I, I could justify it and rationalize it. I moved across the across the world. Um, my partner and I are having issues. I have no friends in Canada. I miss my parents. Um, I'm trying to be. It's a pandemic. I, I would find any excuse to justify my behavior. Um, you know, I would there's notes in my journal of me noting that I was consistently day drinking. Um, that was a really big thing that became the norm was my day drinking just went off crazy. And about, I think it was about a fortnight into my, after I'd fell and hurt myself that my therapist had said, well, I should try AA. And I went, ah, fuck no. I went, no. And I will say my bias came from my stepmother who was in recovery and, I didn't want to be like her. I thought that she was stuck up. I thought that all these things and I thought really wrong. And, you know, I just didn't want to be like her. I didn't, didn't want that. I didn't understand why I needed to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. It didn't, it didn't make sense to me. Um, but September, you know, I, I realized that I'd probably better start and listen to my therapist who had said, you know, just go and have a look um so you know I there were a few in-person meetings that were starting to pop up again after the pandemic in Canada um I drove down and sat and watched um some people go into a women's meeting um and I just couldn't go in I I sat and sat in the car and I couldn't go in. I think I went about four times and then I thought you know what let's, let's try Zoom okay maybe maybe there's a thing that that will work Um, and I actually found a a Vancouver queer meeting that I could attend and started going online Um, I made the commitment that I would go once a week because it only ran once a week Um, and I didn't speak my first meeting I think I spoke in my second meeting and introduced myself and just said hi I didn't I don't think I said because I was still um, I was still drinking that's the other thing is that September 23rd was my last drink but of course my I had come into AA still with the desire to stop drinking um but yeah I I found that group and I started I started going to this meeting once a week um and I started getting sober through Zoom I started listening to these people uh two weeks after I I went and into an in-person meeting I was so petrified and it still wasn't comfortable um, but I got a sponsor I literally went up to someone that shared something at one meeting and went oh okay I kind of like all you right, know, I can relate to you and I went up to him and said um, do you mind if you sponsor me and he said yes um, so I started to open that door of AA um, it's kind of funny because there's been little things through that little step um, I started to go to a home I got a home group in Vancouver. Um, I would start going two to three times a week. I'd go on weekends when I knew that some people would be there who I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't see during the week. So I started to do this whole, um, the in-person sort of thing. Um, so for me, I kind of found it like, it was difficult because the the in-person meetings I still wasn't comfortable with. I got sober through Zoom, you know, the in-person meetings I went to really didn't kick in until at least three months into my recovery um because I just wasn't comfortable I just really wanted to stay in zoom I didn't want anyone in the entire city of Vancouver to or even Canada or the world to know that I was going to these meetings I was so um ashamed of going to these meetings um so yeah like my experience of the I'll touch briefly on the sort of conventional AA you know I did conventional AA I don't mind it I didn't have a problem with religion necessarily when I entered into AA. However, um, I did have a bit of religious trauma at a certain age where that kind of did a bit of damage and I just, I could put it to the side for for a lot of time. But then um, once I found AA intergroup, um, that's when things really change. You know, I, I'd done the steps conventional. So I, I had done them, you know, I got that, whole down but I'd started looking going back to zoom and a intergroup came up and I found this meeting called a secular meditation which is um my home group and you know I found and I was like what is this meeting what does secular mean um so I logged in and I was like whoa this is this is different Uh, there's people swearing and there's no god talk and anything like that and I went okay I can I can get behind it so I started going to this secular thing and I didn't understand you know I I went off into groups so it was simple meetings that I'd been to that had the same time every day and I went okay and I started to really drift away from my um traditional meetings and I think that that not that that was a bad thing it just it just happened to me Um, you know during my traditional time I went to multiple meetings online And in person, I went to the, you know, I've done the 24-hour traditional meetings. I've been to a rehab center for men and I was one of two females in the room. You know, I did a lot in the, especially in the first three months when people were telling me just to get phone numbers That my sponsor was chasing me every day and making sure I do the three things to be grateful for and things like that. Um, I really tried to follow a lot of what was suggested. There wasn't necessarily the thing of, about service and things like that but you know there were things there that were keeping me occupied rather than drinking you know reading reading the AA book you know planning to go to your next meeting things like that it did keep me sober um, but then you know I hit oh, I think it was late November and I really just kind of i had enough uh, I found enough meetings and I found the the wonderful spreadsheet that's like 600 pages long of all the secular meetings and I went oh shit okay so I just I literally just went okay I have stayed sober through zoom I'm a zoom baby All right, let's just forget about traditional for a while let's just try secular um and I immediately jumped at it and I think since since November you know I ended up getting a planner and writing down meetings. I've just gone to as much Secular meetings as I can. can. Um, Since finding Secular, I attend more meetings now. Uh, I even looked at today, I can be in a meeting, in four meetings a day. Not because I have a desire to drink, but because I I simply don't mind the fact that I'm like a... I like Zoom and I like the AA Zoom and the fact that I can come into a meeting anywhere. since finding Secular I found that I can get stuck into service so much easier I'm not I don't have to feel pressured by you know people to do a certain thing or be a certain way I can just you in a simple easy as that um and I've it's just the confidence that I found um from there getting stuck into service was something that wasn't advocated for really by my traditional sponsor which I was sort of I think his his sort of opinion was you know you need to wait until you've got about you know nine months up before you can really start getting in the middle of service whereas when I came into secular it was get in the middle of service just the service keeps us sober service keeps you sober just do it just do it so that's what I started to do I just went okay um, and then yeah since I've come into secular I even have gone into um, another fellowship which is obviously like I said before, Codependence Anonymous. Um, I started my own meeting in there. Um, and so, yeah, it's been since November. I've just been coming to meetings a lot and I've tried to make it a thing with my recovery. I'm going to slowly start to wrap up, but I think I made a big thing with my recovery. Is The Zoom thing for me was about connecting to people wherever they were. Like I loved the fact that I could go into Zoom in Australia. Um, you know, I go to Setkill, Melbourne. I've gone to all these other ones. I um, can go to one back home or wherever. Um, and I think for me, that's, it's that geographical thing about me moving around and bouncing around where I still want to keep people around me. And I think that's why I've appreciated um, the Zoom room so much is because I can take the Zoom people with me. I can take you guys with me. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing for me since I've come into this room, and I will say in the past mm, three months, probably since the start of the, I'd say since the start of the year, um, is a massive change in my recovery. Um, I do think, you know, I'm, it is kind of weird to say, but I do think that Secular has been the, the best thing for me, um, to put the God stuff aside just not have to deal with it because i wasn't raised religious i don't you don't need to deal with it it's not my personal thing um but since then i've just gone nose dive straight into recovery um because I, I i truly enjoy it um i don't enjoy it all the time i've had temptations to drink i've been depressed um i lost my relationship quite recently as well so i'm still going through that and i had a few cravings to drink and use and and all that stuff um, but the the biggest thing for me is the fellowship. Um, you know, there's a saying in New Zealand, um, what is the most important thing? Uh, the people, you know it's it's you guys. it's It's been a hard thing to sort of take a step back from when I was starting to write this this morning, just what what I wanted to include and in how to express the fact that my sobriety is such a big thing but it's so small at the same time. Um, The the fellowship is what's kept me sober. And I think that's why I always had a problem with the higher power stuff because it always in traditional meetings was that, oh, it had to be God. Well, I believe that people who have, like my ancestors have come before me and have some answers that I probably don't know or that like you guys, you guys have been in this room longer than I have. And so you guys might have an idea that I might need to listen to you know, and take it in. And I think that I've really tried to, I don't like the word embodiment, but I guess that's the only word I can come up with off the top of my head is like to just do, I don't even know, I'm trying to think of the right word. best thing for me is the fellowship because the fellowship has kept me sober. It's when I, especially when I first um, started in AA, all my friends now, everyone messaging me is in recovery um you know it's that's a really strange difference um I'm not I don't feel so alone anymore I you know it's been a really hard road to open my step four was a pain in the ass I really didn't like it and that you know that was in conventional AA I'm still going to do it in the secular style but step four was hard step four really showed me that I had a lot of maladaptive behaviors bad coping mechanisms bad ways of doing things that really were just harming myself and other people um i i thought i was a really good person and i i still don't think i am at a lot of the time Um, but it was really an eye-opening experience for me to do the the steps and to see that you know there is a lot that i actually need to work on um and to transform into to trying to be a better person because it's been I've always wanted that. I've always known that there's always more work to do in my head with how to be a better person. But since I've come into sobriety, I really see what I can do for me and what I can do for other people. You know, I, I love, I, that's why I love service so much is, you know, it's I, I get a lot of enjoyment out of it, but I get so much more about just helping and just being able to say hi to people and check in and just say, hey, what, you know. Um, so yeah, I think there's really not much else I kind of want to say. I think the main thing is since I've come into Tassanua, um a secular meditation and all night place. These these rooms, um, and these you guys that are in this room right now, like I, I just I don't want to cry, but I might. And it's just amazing to see so many people here that I really love and care about. Um, you guys are my family like my family of origin don't get me. I don't really talk about my sobriety game because they don't really understand. But you guys, you guys fucking get it. And I don't have to explain my entire thing to help, you know, you guys just get it. And I'm so, so grateful. Um, It's, it's so nice to just feel like I fit in. I can explain and cry and I can ring someone at 12am and maybe they'll answer and maybe not I can just go on in a meeting and whatever but it's the fellowship that's kept me sober it's learning that you guys have done this one day at a time and I'm only just getting started um so I love every single one of you guys uh I could say one thing about each and every one of you but I'm sure that I will take up more than enough time doing that um but I just can't thank you guys enough and for keeping me here because I can't run away because I don't even want to run away. I always want to run to you guys because you guys are my family. So love you.